This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to Free Agency Day Number One. This is the legal tampering period. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, of course, by the man who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, and most importantly, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. We're about 16 minutes away from the legal uh, tampering period beginning, and uh, this is going to get interesting and fun. Already a lot of whispers and some things that happened yesterday as well. Let's start with the Jets. The big move there is the trade for Colecio Semele, the guard from the Oakland Raiders. We know the deal there. He was a Raven originally, then signed a big contract with the Raiders, stepped his game up to the point where he was an all-pro. Injuries kind of derailed him a little bit. He missed some time last year and had a bit of a rough go compared to what he had done the previous couple of years. But the bottom line here is they get him two years. He's got left on his contract. He's an established player. When he's healthy, he's really good. He fits a need so they don't have to freak out and go throwing a billion dollars at Roger Saffold. They flip a fifth rounder for a sixth rounder for the privilege of taking on a Semele's contract. And now he is expensive, so don't get that twisted. He's going to be making somewhere in the range of 10 to $11 million over the next two years, although no guaranteed money. So if he's not good this year, they could always cut bait if they wanted to. But I'll say this. The Jets signed Alan Fanica to a big money contract back in 2008. He gave them one excellent year and one pretty solid year. If Assembly could give them anything close to that, that's a huge win for the price that they paid. And I think it's a good move. Low risk, high reward. Can't complain. Think that Mac got things started in a really good way. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here with this move because you're right. It's not cheap. But if Rodgers Halfold is going to get a contract right about in line with that and he's really the only other guard that was available on the free agent market that is comparable to a healthy assembly so there's going to be a bidding war for and a lot of you know competition to get us roger saffold and mccagnan just said you know what let me go trade for assembly and now we don't have to waste our time getting in this roger saffold uh competition you know fighting for him uh, we know what we have to pay him. We're good with paying Osemele this, and uh, we can start addressing the other needs right off the bat at 12 o'clock today. Um, the other thing that, yes, uh, last year he had a down year for him. Uh, he has toe, toe and uh, knee injuries. But also a, a huge factor that should not be overlooked is Tom Cable as the, off, the Oakland Raiders offensive line coach. And Tom Cable, wherever he goes, the offensive linemen's plays suffer. So not only was he working and struggling dealing with the injuries, but he had to deal with a Tom uh, Cable-led offensive line. So everywhere, like I said, everywhere he goes, the offensive line suffers. Then he leaves, and the offensive line improves uh, a little bit. So, uh, But going back the years before, when he's healthy, Calicio Assembly is a, an absolute powerhouse. He is a tough SOB who can sit there and just railroad people. And, uh, you know, Jamal tweeted something about a hit, about it after the trade, talking about how tough he was. Thank God he's not going to have to go against him anymore. And, uh, you know, there was all this talk at the end of the season when Jamal was talking about, we we need more dogs. We need more dogs. Well, collectively assembly is a dog. And if he's healthy, he is going to be able to, just absolutely devastate some guys and his run blocking power run blocking will be great for the jets and he can definitely help protect sam darnold now if they just go out and add a center 
that, that could even help uh, make Brent, Brian Winters a more adequate guard if he can stay healthy as well. So they need to go address the center. But if they do that and assimilate, that's a huge upgrade to the offensive line. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The bottom line here is, for as good as Assembly's been when he's been healthy, and he was an All-Pro a couple of years ago in 2016, he was a Pro Bowler again in 2017 last year, stepped back a little bit, like you said, Cable and the injuries. you got to remember, he has had back surgery a couple of years ago. These injuries are starting to mount because every year he seems to get nicked up and miss a game or two, and then last year he missed five games. And he's a guy that relies entirely on his speed, athleticism, and his power. He's not a technique guy, so that's what he wins with. So as he gets older, that's going to wane off a little bit. And he's over 300 pounds, so you talk about back surgery, toe and knee issues. His body's probably slowly but surely starting to break down. But like I said before, if you can get two solid years out of him, which I think is entirely possible, then it's yes. an absolute win. And like we've talked about before, Chris, you get Osimile in here, he can make a difference over the next year or two, and then you start to load up on guys in the mid-rounds that can come in and be groomed to be the replacements. I think that's a smart move. There's really not a lot of losing here with Assembly because, like we said, even though he's expensive, they can cut bait because none of that money's guaranteed. And when healthy, he's at the very least going to be a very solid guard, if nothing else. And he really adds an element to this offense as far as run blocking. Because as much as we want to talk about building a fortress around Sam Darnold, Chris, we have to remember that the pass blocking, while not good, was nowhere near as bad as the run blocking last year. Assembly adds somebody into the mix that can make a difference in the running game when healthy, and that's something that is very, very badly needed. Perhaps he will be joined by somebody else that could help make a difference in the running game blocking-wise. And that, of course, is Matt Paradis. A lot of reports coming out that the Jets are going to be in big on him. Also, some people saying that it might be Morse. What are you hearing on this as far as the center position? Is it going to be Paradis, Morse? Which way is the wind blowing here, do you think? I'll say I'm going to go with Paradis. I think from what I've been told, uh, they're going to get one of them. They're, for sure, they're going to get one of them. But the only reason why that uh, you know that little hedge is being thrown out there is because there's going to be, it sounds like there's going to be more competition for Paradis. Um, but the Jets, from what I've been told and heard, they have their sights set on Paradis. That's the guy that they've identified and want. They they would 
be okay with settling for Morse, but I'd be shocked if they don't come away with one of them. The only reason why I'm not going to sit here and, and like, you know, plant my flag and say that they'll definitely get Paradis is because I have no idea what Paradis wants and what, you know, he values and where he's going to be. If, if he'd want to go somewhere else, who knows? So that's the only thing that holds me up there, but I, I'm going to go ahead and say they get Paradis. Uh, and I'd be completely shocked if they didn't get one of the two of them. And to blend this in along with the uh, assembly conversation, both of the uh, trading for assembly and then signing Paradis and Morse, both good indisputable moves by McCagnan. But the one, the one thing it just goes to show McCagnan does have to start drafting some offensive linemen and you can get assembly in like we talked about, you know, it, he's an older player. So I absolutely think he can be great, a really good player for them for two years, but it, getting him and then getting a paradise allows you to go ahead and spend a, a third round pick or a fourth round pick on offensive linemen to develop them, to try to, you know, so then when assembly's time is done here, then you can just smoothly transition those guys in there. Uh, you can't keep going back to the free agent well on offensive line every year, which is what McCagden has done, whether it was James Carpenter or Ian Clady, Spencer Long, and those guys are all gone now. So you can't keep doing this every year just to replace the guys. These are really good moves, but they need to start to address this in the, in the draft as well. One other area that they're desperately looking to upgrade at is edge rusher, but one of the guys that was expected to be one of their biggest targets off the board before free agency got started, Dante Fowler re-signs with the Rams. I got to be honest, Chris, I was kind of relieved here. I don't think much of Fowler. I think he's a very average player. I think that it very well may be the case that Mac was saved from himself here. What are your thoughts on Fowler going back to the Rams? Yeah, I, I saw that and I had the same reaction you did. In fact, I, I tweeted it earlier that uh, Fowler going to the Rams and then uh, Amendola going to the Lions, two moves that might have just saved Mac from making a mistake. Um, the deal for Fowler is a, is a one-year deal worth up to $14 million. So, you know, he's he's doing a one-year prove-it deal, hoping to stick with the Rams and be able to show it over a long season and then hoping to parlay that into a long-term deal next year. Um but, you know, uh, like we said before, I've said before, Fowler would would have been all right if he came along with the right play, other players around him. But to be paying him that type of money, it just it didn't make sense. I know the Jets have the money, but you, you want to go ahead and spend that money on the players that are no doubt good players, not, you know, borderline average players who just happen to do the uh, one one thing that everybody wants. So, uh that is a good thing. Missing out on him is a good thing, especially if there's plenty of other other uh, pass rusher types available, edge guys available, and then they can also turn to the draft still there. Missing out on Fowler is, is, is a good thing for the Jets. And missing out on Fowler means they will probably be in on one of the other pass rushers that is available. We're hearing a couple of names. We're hearing Preston Smith from the Redskins, Justin Houston, who has just released in Kansas City. Anthony Barr has been a name that we've heard a lot about in addition to Trey Flowers. And I want to talk about Anthony Barr in a second. But first, tell me what you've heard about these four guys. Yeah, uh, right now, from what I've heard, it's Anthony Barr and Trey Flowers are at the top of their list. Those are the two guys that they're I've identified that they want to go after. You know whether they can get them both. We'll wait and see if they can get either one of them. Wait and see. But uh, 
you know, if they miss out there, then I, I, and I could definitely see them turn their attention to Justin Houston next after that. Preston Smith, uh, you know, the Smith from Baltimore is it the Carius. I can't pronounce his first name, something along those lines, but I, I feel pretty good that they're going to be focused on flowers and, uh, and bar first, but they're going to have competition there. You know, uh, Flowers' ex-defensive coaches, Patricia wants him. Uh, Brian Flores in Miami also wants him. Patricia also is supposedly really interested in Anthony Barr and wants to go there. So they're going to have some competition for those guys. I know they really want him. That's going to be their target. Are they going to be willing to go ahead and, you know, be the top bidder on those guys? We'll have to wait and see there. But I, I think that's where their focus is going to be. And then if they can't get them or don't end up getting them, then they'll go to the other guys' as fallback options. Hey, guys. Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I want to talk a little bit about Anthony Barr here, Chris, because there have been people coming out and saying, anybody that thinks that you should get Anthony Barr as a pass rusher, you just don't know what you're talking about. John Ledyard has said something along those lines. Rich Semini didn't say it as condescending as that, but he kind of implied it in a tweet this morning. And I want to address this because, Chris, here's a guy that played edge rusher at UCLA and was damn good at it, and that was what we expected of him when he went to the pros. But he got drafted by Minnesota. They run a 4-3, so it didn't really fit that. So they used him in a different capacity. And he's been pretty good in that capacity. He's made the Pro Bowl a handful of times, but I don't think that it's played to his strengths. I think that he's a guy that could be a 3-4 edge rusher. He's got the burst. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. We saw what he did at UCLA. He's got the bend to do it. 6-5-250. I see no reason why he couldn't. And so people talking about, oh, he's never done that at this stage of his career. I don't know. And John Ledyard, get this through your head. He's a linebacker. I want to go back to what happened with the Jets. And this is, to me, one of the biggest miscalculations of Bill Parcells' tenure here. They drafted James Farrier with their first pick in the 1998 draft. And he was kind of underwhelming. He was an okay linebacker here. But then he went to Pittsburgh and he thrived when they put him in a different defensive setting and used him differently. And that, to me, is how you win in free agency. Because most of the guys that become free agents, with the exception of the rare anomaly like Le'Veon Bell are free agents for a reason. They're damaged in some way, or they're not good enough. Well, Anthony Barr is a free agent because you could argue that he hasn't been used to the capabilities that would make him an elite-level free agent as far as if he was a 3-4 backer getting 12 sacks a year, he never hits free agency. When you win in free agency, typically it's because you find a guy that you like who's being underutilized or miscast, and you use them properly, and you win that way. And David Aiken from Turn on the Jets had a really good tweet along these lines. He said, being able to see things in players others didn't is how you get ahead in free agency. The Jets gave Damian Woody a long-term deal to play right tackle after he only did it a handful of times in New England, and it's still one of the best deals they've ever made in free agency. And that's 100% true. I understand that there's some 
risk involved, but you've got to take swings like this in free agency. You play it safe, and you're going to end up 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. I think with Anthony Barr, he's a guy that, especially with Greg Williams and the way he likes to attack, you put him out there if he's running those three, four fronts and just tell him to go get the quarterback, you're looking at a guy that could easily be a double-digit sack guy. Sure, he may not necessarily reach that range, and there is some risk involved, but I just think that the risk-reward factor here is very much in the favor of whoever signs him and tries to use him in this role. So if I'm the Jets, I would go after him hard and try to get him to be that elusive outside rusher that they haven't had in a long time. And I think that if they do sign him, that's probably the way that Greg Williams envisions it, right? Yeah, absolutely. If they sign him, that's what they're going to be using him for. I also think if you know the Lions are going after him, I, I get the feeling that... Uh, Patricia is going to be looked to using him in that type of similar role too. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. I, you know, I remember watching him in UCLA, watching when he was coming out, and I was in love with him. And I definitely his pass rushing ability was a huge part of that reason for that. Um, there is, without a doubt, a little bit of a gamble though, because he has been in the NFL for a while and has been playing a different role. And for him to, it's not like we can sit there and say that for sure that this is going to be a seamless role, so uh, a switch of the roles to just go into just becoming more of a pass rusher. Uh, you know, he, if you look at his pass rush, uh, rushing success, um, the percentage of his success, he's done pretty well with a lot of other people just on a much smaller sample size. But, of course, you have to look at the way that he's being utilized there. He's more of a free blitzer in those scenarios, too. So if he is, you know, a more of a full-time pass rushing role, then the offensive line is going to be expecting him to be in one of those. So it, it is a little bit of a gamble, but you're right. And uh, what the tweet you read about David Aiken, he is, it, he's absolutely correct. That is how you have to look at things. You have to look for value. You have to look for things and how to use somebody different and try to see things that other people don't. That's where you get the edge. And, uh, you know, I'll go and uh, talk about Trey Flowers here, too, because just to get this in, Trey Flowers isn't uh, a pure pass rusher either. He's he's my top edge guy um, in this available free agent class, but he's definitely not the best pass rusher. He's definitely more of an all-around player. But if you get him and then you pair him with an Anthony Barr or a Justin Houston, then they'll make all the difference in the world. And uh, But the uh, back to Barr... The, you're absolutely right about the upside. If if I'm going strictly off upside, which guy has the uh, biggest upside, the highest ceiling here, then is Barr. And uh, if the Jets go after him, it's a smart move to go ahead and do it. And worst case scenario, he can't do what you think and envision that he can do, and then he can go back to his old role where he's still a really good player doing that. But I think he could at least do both, where he could you could have a more of a 50-50 role or something along those lines. And I've talked about that in the past. Uh, it's good to be able to have the versatility and to got, have guys who can play and fit in both a 3-4 or a 4-3 and a nickel and this and that and do all those types of things. You look at the Patriots, and that's how they do things. They get guys who can do a little bit of everything. So 
uh, go ahead, take that swing, take that chance on bar. That's what free agency for is. You got to try to be aggressive and try to find that edge. And uh, he's he's a player that could do that for him. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the off season, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them. Keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Versatility and being able to do a lot of different things is the key to being somebody that you want to chase during free agency because you want somebody that can fill a bunch of different roles if possible, like let's say Le'Veon Bell, who can be a receiver and a running back and a blocker. The Jets, depending on who you talk to, are expected to be in or not expected to be in or expected to be sort of in or not expected to be sort of in. So many conflicting reports. And now this report from Manish Med of the Daily News that there are some within the Jets who believe that Tevin Coleman is overrated and about to be overpaid, even though we've been hearing for days that the Jets really like Coleman and they're planning to go after him hard. So let's unpack this. What's going on with Bell and Coleman? What are you hearing and how do you expect this to play out? Yeah, well, for, I'll start with Coleman first and say that, if, you know, if the Jets believe that, the Jets are right to believe that. And I've I've gone on record saying Tevin Coleman is a player I like. I have liked coming out of Indiana, but he, you know, he's more of just a a quality receiver as a running back than he is as a run the ball between the tackles running back. He is not nearly the the type of pass blocker that Le'Veon Bell has. So Le'Veon, uh, if if you're sitting there saying we don't need to go after Le'Veon Bell because of Tevin Coleman, that's just a wildly misguided take in my opinion. Uh, Tevin Coleman is a fine player. He's going to get overpaid by somebody. I don't know why people are so surprised that he's going to get this. He's going to get a Jarek McKinnon contract. He's going to probably a little bit better than that. That's how this works. Everyone was shocked at McKinnon's contract last year. Well, guess what? The, the uh, Comparable guy to him this year is Tevin Coleman. That's going to get bumped up a little bit. That's how uh, contract value works in the NFL. Um, but I agree, he is a little bit overrated. He's, uh, you know, not as multi-dimensional and versatile as you're looking for. And if you want to spend money on a running back, then you they should be going after Le'Veon Bell because, like you just said. Le'Veon Bell is not only the best running back available in this class, he's the best receiver out of the group, and he's also an excellent pass blocker. That's three players for the price of one, and he is the only dynamic playmaker available on offense that's desperately need. You know, we can talk about whether they should go after Cole Beasley or uh, Adam Humphreys, but Le'Veon Bell would be the best receiver they can add there. So go ahead and pay him, man. You're paying him to do two jobs. He can do those two jobs better than anybody else available can do uh, the one job of theirs. So go ahead and pay him. I know we've been talking about this a lot, but there just makes no sense to pinch pennies uh, on him when they desperately need playmakers. 
And I think that whether or not they go aggressively after Le'Veon Bell is going to tell you a lot about who is really calling the shots here. And Chris, you and I will expand on that once the picture becomes clearer. But I definitely think that this is going to tell you a lot because Manish also reported, and this goes along with what you said on the podcast yesterday, Chris, and what you said you've been hearing consistently, that there is division at Florham Park as to whether or not this team should go hard after Le'Veon Bell. If they do, I have a feeling I know who is behind it. If they don't, I have a feeling I know why and who is behind that. I'm pretty sure you do too. And like I said, once the picture becomes clearer, we'll be able to be a little less cryptic and talk about this a little bit more and kind of flesh this out. But I'm curious to see how this plays out. I really hope that the Jets go hard after Le'Veon Bell because, Chris, like you said, they desperately need him. And on top of that... I think that this narrative of, well, the Jets can't let themselves get used again is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Listen, I'm not saying you sit there and say to Le'Veon Bell, take as much time as you want, take three weeks, take our offer and go shop it around to other teams. But why is it a problem if they go at him and say, look, here is a huge offer. This is our best offer. You've got until such and such time to decide whether you want it or we're moving on. Why would you keep yourself from going after the best players? The Yankees do this all the time. Players sometimes use their offers for leverage. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. You can't be afraid to go after talent because you think they might say no to you and, oh, it's embarrassing and we're afraid of rejection. That's like the guy who has a crush on the girl that lives next door to him for 20 years and never asks her out because he's afraid she might say no. you got to take a risk. Good things can't happen unless you put yourself out there. And the worst thing that happens is he says no so what? I don't get this whole fear of being rejected. It really is almost teenager-like, and I can't wrap my head around it, Chris. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's one thing if all you have is $20 million in salary cap, and then you're sitting there saying, well, listen, we, we need you to make up your mind, because if you're not coming here, then we need to go spend this money elsewhere. But the Jets can go ahead and offer him whatever they're going to offer him, and then they can put that aside and go look and address other positions. So it's not like they're uh, you know, a contract sitting out there is going to prevent them from looking elsewhere. That's not going to be the case with him. And then, yeah, okay. So there are, another thing people fa- don't factor in is sometimes an agent and a team, a team will let agents use them to drive up the market. And then, you know, they'll sit there and uh, uh, work with the agent to do that. Sometimes that happens, but uh, you can sit there and give him the offer. And the other thing is, too, because people are going to point to Kirk Cousins and them doing that last year. Well, the reason why McCagnan had to go ahead and put a timetable on that was because he said, well, if you're not coming here, then all of a sudden I need to start to look into trading up. I need to try to trade up. And he wanted to tra- he didn't want to wait till the draft to trade up, which was smart. He wanted to get that out of the way early. So he couldn't let that drag on for too long because he needed to go look to trade up to get uh, because he knew he was going to be drafting a quarterback. That's not going to be the case here with, uh, you know, about trading up for a a Le'Veon Bell, a guy to go and fill in those shoes. So there's not as much urgency to have to do that there. I don't really get why people are too hung up. 
I, I think it's just more of a case of, you know, the national media and people on Twitter will make jokes and then the Jets fans don't want to feel like they're being, who cares though? It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. As long as, you know, like I said, if, if they're sitting there putting money aside and that's causing them to miss other players, that could be a problem, but they, that's not the situation here. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. If Mike McCagnin is worried about what the national media is saying or what people on Twitter are saying, then he should probably just quit because this is not the job for him. That is not what you have to pay attention to. You have to go out there and do whatever you have to do to try and make this team the best that it can be. Everything else is noise, and I don't understand why that would be a factor for even 10 seconds for any of these guys. I will say this, though. One guy that there was a lot of noise about from the national media, as far as bringing him in as a slot receiver, was Danny Amendola, who spent last year under Gase in Miami. It was my understanding from people I've talked to that Amendola didn't actually like Gase and wouldn't want to play for him again. For some reason, there were other reports that he was a Gase guy. Well, apparently he's not. It looks like he's headed to the Lions. And by the way, Manish Mehta coming out and saying the Jets had zero expectations of signing Danny Amendola, which goes along with what you and I had been saying all along, Chris. I never understood this whole narrative. He wouldn't have fit here. I had heard that he and Gase didn't get along anyway, and now they can move on to other targets. The two names that we're hearing a lot of, Cole Beasley and Adam Humphreys, although there were also reports that Jamison Crowder has some fans at Florham Park, but the speculation seems to be centered mostly around Beasley and Humphreys. What are you hearing about this, Chris? Yeah, I'm with you on the Andola stuff. I've, all the connections, the gay sky stuff always left me scratching my head. I, you know, I heard that Amendola wasn't too enamored with Gase. Gase wasn't like uh, too overly enamored with Amendola. And it, people were acting like they spent like five, six, seven years together. They've that Amendola filed Gase to three different teams. And Gase signed Amendola last year, and that was it. That they spent that one year together. It's not like Amendola put up great numbers. But this is something, you know, this is how uh, football media works. They People see that you played with a coach one time, that new coach goes, that coach goes someplace well, else, and then they just say, oh, okay, he's a whatever guy because he played for him for a season. And it didn't make sense. And the fact that he went and signed with the Detroit Lions, you know, uh, with Matt Patricia before free agency even started, uh, that lets you know that the people that were uh, touting that uh, Gates connection there, as if it actually meant something, were just reaching there. Uh, that that's pretty much the bottom line there. And like we talked about earlier, I think this is a good thing for the Jets because Amendola, and we've talked about this the last couple of days, older guy. D- doesn't produce much anyway. There's there's just not a lot of point to bringing him in. Um, right now, what I'm hearing is it looks like they're going to definitely make a run at Humphreys or Cole Beasley. Those seem to be the two guys that they're most interested in at the wide receiver spot. Um, both of them would be fine additions, fine players, probably going to pay a, a little more than you want, but that's what, you know, this free agency, that's how it is. Um, go back. Yes. They'd probably be better off just putting that money into Le'Veon Bell. Uh, but it, I do expect they'll probably come away with one of them. I wouldn't roll Jameson Crowder out of there, but I haven't been hearing so much about him. Everything I'm hearing is mostly about, uh, Beasley or Humphreys. So, um, and then also just to throw this in there, we got a little bit of breaking news. The Raiders uh, just signed tackle Trent Brown 
to a four-year deal. So we got that going. I just see that at the bottom of uh, NFL Network. But uh, I know a lot of Jets fans think that the Jets were going to be looking to upgrade those tackle positions. I didn't expect them to spend any money on these, this tackle class of uh, free agent receivers. I think Beecham and Shell are fine. They can look to it, upgrade that in uh, the draft. But giving Trent Brown four years at $66 million, almost $40 million guaranteed, yeah, I'd, I'd take a hard pass at that. I have to say that could be good news for the Jets as well because if they're spending that money on Trent Brown and they just spent money on Antonio Brown, that means that it's probably less likely that they chase Le'Veon Bell, but that remains to be seen. Last bit of business here, Chris, involves inside linebacker, and I was kind of surprised to see this. They're seeing the Jets are going to be very active with Quan Alexander especially, but also C.J. Mosley as well. This can't bode well for Darren Lee and or Avery Williamson, can it? No, it can't. And I, I think it's uh, safe to say that, that Darren Lee is the one who is in more, more trouble there than Avery Williams. Um, you know, I, I can't, they're not going to be looking to move on from Avery Williams now. And I don't know that they'd necessarily be looking to move on from Darren Lee right now, just because I don't know what type of value they could get back for him. But if they were to go out and get Quan Alexander and CJ Mosley, uh, I would expect Darren Lee to be the one taking more of a backseat sub-package role there than uh, than it hurt Avery Williamson's uh, playing time. So, I, you know, if they're going to go for one of those guys, then they should go for C.J. Mosley. He is he is really good, and he is worth uh, adding just because, like we've been talking about, they need talent. He is great talent. The Quan Alexander things, you know, he had that great rookie year. He hasn't really been the same since. He's had injury issues, um, inconsistency there. I wouldn't be looking to spend huge money on that. If I'm going after an inside linebacker, it would be C.J. Mosley. But either way, if they get one of those guys, and just the fact that they're kicking the tires and looking into it, that isn't a good sign for Darren Lee. Um, again, I, I don't know that that means that they'll flip him or get rid of him or cut him or anything like that. But it, that, that would mean that his days are numbered here, and you know there probably are anyway. What do you think the thinking is here, Chris? Because Lee and Williamson didn't really seem to be a major issue for the Jets last year. And as we were talking off the phone, Quan Alexander had that really good rookie year, but hasn't quite been the same since. Is he really that much of an upgrade over what they already have? I mean, I see it with Mosley to an extent, but it seems a little weird that they seem so fixated on Quan Alexander, doesn't it? Yeah, it does seem a little weird. Um because it's not that giant of an upgrade, but you know maybe some of the other stuff with uh, Darren Lee has uh, you know kind of gotten to him. You're, you know, getting suspended at the end of the season. Maybe they look for somebody they can trust a little bit more. Um, there, there could be a lot more going into it right now. But the, again, the C.J. Mosley thing—that's a clear enough upgrade. Quan Alexander, when he's uh, when he's doing everything right, when everything's clicking, is a, a decent upgrade, but he's got inconsistencies there. So it doesn't seem like, especially to have to go pay him around 10, 11 million per, I'd, I'd rather stick with Darren Lee. But again, the fact that they're looking into us and considering it is uh, speaks volumes about how they feel about Darren Lee right now. 
What do you think they could even realistically get for Darren Lee at this point? Because we talked about this during the mailbag edition a couple of days ago. I honestly don't know that they could get more than like a fifth round pick for him. It seems like, if nothing else, they might be better off keeping him and using him rotationally if they're going to bring in somebody else. Because I just don't think you're getting any value for him. Maybe just let him play, hope that he's on better behavior, raise his trade value, and then maybe look to deal him. I don't know. I don't really know what they would do with him. Because, like I said, I just don't see them getting much for him at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. In theory, the the one thing I will say, the one way they might be able to coax out a, you know, a higher pick is the same thing we were just talking about um, with uh, Anthony Barr, is maybe a, there's a team out there that looks at Darren Lee and the Jets and says, hey, you've been using him wrong this whole time. Uh, we'll give you a third uh, or a fourth, and you, you send him to us, and then we will use him as more of a – you know, a four-three outside linebacker. You know, maybe somebody out there is watching that, has been watching that, and says, "You haven't been using them right. This is how we'll use them." Uh, but if you can't get something like that in return for him, I'm with you. I'd probably just stick with keeping him, keep him as a rotational guy, bring him in, let him do some more coverage stuff. You know, if you limit all the stuff that he has to do, you kind of take away some some stuff off his plate. I think that can free him up to be a little bit better at the things he does do well. So maybe that can help and he can contribute more in that situation. And if you're just going to be getting a fifth or sixth round pick, then it's probably worth it to hold on to him for another year and see what happens. But again, if you can get somebody to look at it and say, hey, you've been using them wrong, we'll give you a third or a fourth, then go ahead and consider flipping them, especially if they go and make one of those moves. Chris, we just started the legal tampering period, and already there have been so many twists and turns. This is going to be a wild roller coaster ride, and we are going to cover every last bit of it. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. We will do this all again, same bat time, same bat channel tomorrow. In the meantime, why don't you let everybody know where they can interact with you because you're going to be on social media today. You've got no choice whether you like it or not, and you're going to have plenty of content up at your website. So go ahead and let them know where they can interact with you and check out your work. Yeah, I'll, I'll be posting articles all week about it on, on JetsInsider.com. Uh, you know, as soon as they sign players, we'll get stuff out and then uh, all type of stuff there. And like you said, I unfortunately, there's no more t- Twitter breaks for me. Not this week. I won't be able to do it. I'll be on Twitter all week. I'll be there answering any random questions you have. So uh, you can find me there at Nimbly and at Jets Insider. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be on there way more than I'd like to. But, you know, sometimes you got to suck it up. And th- that's what very big deals do. They, they suck it up sometimes and give the people what they need. It's true, Chris. That is the number one aspect of being a very big deal is being able to suck things up and deliver at all times. And there is nobody out there better than you. So make sure you go and visit Chris at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.